Hello, hello everyone. Welcome to episode 13 of season 3 of the Wormburner podcast. I'm your host Justin and for this week I have a very special guest for you guys. He is the assistant coach to the Lamar University women's soccer program. Here is Colton Bryant. How are you good sir? I'm great man. Just uh, surviving and thriving day by day, huh? Yes sir, (laughs) yes sir. So, uh, with the gauntlet of hard questions for you, I have one to start you off with, right off the top of the bat. What's your favorite soccer team? Liverpool, man. That's um, not exactly sure how I came across that. Just um, the, the earliest memory I can tell, obviously, as an American, we, we don't have all the Premier League stuff all around, right? And so, I think, like, the first pair of... Um, three-quarter pants that my my mother got me had Liverpool on it. So I think that's what made me kind of just stick to them, and I've been a diehard ever since. Okay, okay. And I'm. this is an assumption here. Your yeah. favorite person, possibly, is it Steven Gerrard or is it somebody else? I would say favorite Liverpool player is probably Gerrard, or mm-hmm. definitely is Gerrard, but I would say mm-hmm. my favorite player ever is Messi. Ah, uh, okay. He's just different. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and we'll get into that a little bit later, or actually with this next question, because while I was researching for you, you had, you had something in your resume that really stood out with me. And I really wanted to ask you, what was the biggest impact of being a coaching intern at the famed Newell, Newell's Old Boys in Argentina, which is, uh, again, the same club that Messi was a part of when he was younger, what stuck with that? How how was that impact for you? Um, it was pretty good, man. You know, I got to see. You know, I was I was younger at the time, which was um, nice in a way because you know when you're younger, you're and you're experiencing everything. Everything's so wow, and and so I, I I was a really good sponge, and man, I was just watching how they did things, and oddly enough, didn't really know the language well yet. It was kind of funny how it all kind of came to fruition, but it. I mean, it was it was a good time, man. It, it helped me see how many different ways there are to to do things. I mean, I was also in Mexico with Monterey Riados, and then and I've got to do the the two weeks with La Masia in Barcelona, and and so it's just been a when you get to see multiple places, and and even here, like it, when you work for others or you work with others, you get to see kind of some of the things they do, and man, it's really impactful. But I mean, I would say Argentina was easily the best. The, the best time I've ever had in life. Awesome. That I I absolutely love that. And like I had said, when I saw that, I I don't really see that very often. I'll be honest, at least with the with the people that I've interviewed and and just overall looking at the history when it comes to coaching staff and that's really impressive. And I wanted to ask you in terms of soccer and coaching, what got you into coaching? So long story short, I mean, I had three ACL tears and um, it got to the point where it was like, you know, after the third one, it was like, dude, it's, and it's all, all in the same knee. So um, it got to the point where it was like, man, it's not worth it because if you come back again, the, the re-tear percentage is even higher. And at that stage, you've already had your patella out, your hamstring out, and now you have a cadaver. You may as well just just uh, hang up the boots. And so that's kind of what I did. And Honestly, I never would have um, imagined myself being a coach. I never once growing up thought that's what I was going to do. Um, and then, you know, I think I think getting hurt and my, my head coach didn't take my scholarship from me. So he was like, 
you know, you can earn it by being a student assistant with me. And that's kind of what I did. And I think it helped me from a lot of perspectives. I think that as a player, I always made my impact by doing. And the, the hardest part, I would say, at the start of my injuries were knowing how to impact your team when you're not able to be the one doing it. So I had to, you know, I maybe realized I wasn't the best teammate I ever could have been because I didn't, I didn't, there were so many other things I could have done while I was healthy to help, to help the team and I wasn't doing them. And so when I got to get on the other side of the line and look at it from another lens, I think that that really interested me and it. And it, it made a, I would say a profound impact on me as a person because I think I had to grow in a lot of different ways. So that's what got me into it. And then, you know, I kind of, kind of stuck to it. I mean, my second year in it, we won a national title, so that's kind of addicting. Um, and that kind of makes things really, really, really cool. And, I mean, I worked under a coach that, man, on, on the field, he's unbelievable. Like, he was, like, his sessions were so good. He was unbelievable. He's an unreal recruiter. And so, from a younger age as a coach, I got to see what it meant to be, like, what is a high level? What 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 is a good player? And, you know, like, we all think when we're from specific areas that, oh, that's the best player in our area. They must be really, really good. And then you see that there's a whole world out there. Um, and he helped me really see what, what high-level coaching is. He helped me see, you know, what high-level recruiting is. And then, you know, and, and then every experience I've had ever since then has kind of continued to improve me. So, And I wanted to ask you, in terms of – coaching influence for you not not only just as a mentor because obviously I would love to get more into your time when you were at the University of Tennessee Southern but in terms of looking out into the grand view of football and soccer who else was impactful when it came to your influence in coaching well there's so many people and and from a personal standpoint there's quite a few um, but I would say from a stylistic standpoint you know I love Liverpool and Jurgen Klopp is I love the guy. I love the way he plays, but I also love Pep. Um, I, I'm not a City fan, but when you see what Pep's been able to do in terms of, like, the style, I think that if you could combine those two styles, it would be unreal. Um, and I, I, I think those two offer very similar type of ideas. And then from, a, from a, like, my how I built my style of play or, when, you know, my principles was when I started a program from scratch, man, and I just – you know, I had to fail a lot. I had to figure out why am I doing the things I'm not doing? Am I doing it because I'm trying to copy what my old coaches did? Do I really believe in what I'm doing? And so I had to really kind of figure out figure out who I was. And so I did a, you know, I had to do a lot of soul searching. And honestly, it's going to sound funny, but one of the main ways I figured out how I see the game was just through playing FIFA. Like, you know, I was playing and I'm like, okay, well, this is how I always play in the game. So it's like, why do I play that way? And so that helped me create sessions to really help vision or help help create the vision on the field and um that was kind of that was kind of how I kind of molded myself and as funny as it sounds it's like I've even had clips where I couldn't the, the the players weren't quite getting what we were wanting to do and how fast we wanted them to do it and and trying to show them how to get the patterns going were were, were difficult and so what I did was actually played FIFA and I clipped them so when I had a moment I would clip them and then I made like a it was like a four minute video on different phases of the game whether it was defending, so I would put the, the FIFA team in the exact same formation that we would play and show show them kind of how we would defend, how would we attack, how would we transition out of it, or at least showing them how I would see it or how I'm trying to see it. And so that kind of, I think it was creative, and I really do think it helped paint a picture because it's not just a, a training session. It's not just a 
um, animation where they can see the session. And it's not just us talking about it. It's not just me clipping. And I clip things that we've done in-game ourselves. Um, but it was also another way to really try and really paint the picture. And I think that it helped make that more clear. That That's a wonderful way of an idea of going about it as well. <laughs> when it comes to coaches in general and, and being able to envision what you want to put out onto the field, sometimes that, that can be a struggle. And I think that was one of the things when it came to I, – I remember going through Twitter and seeing the clip that you had clipped on uh, your profile, and that's actually how we began our interaction overall was the overall situation and scenario against – I believe it was against uh, LSU mm-hmm. uh, when you guys were playing them in the national championship uh, tournament. Play, play. Yeah. And so um, – from there, it, it, it's a it's a beautiful way to look at it as well, and I love it. I I wanted to ask you overall, from a gaming perspective, how important games like FIFA can maybe make an impact here in the United States as well for coaching specifically. I don't know. Uh, I think it, it could be good, you know, and I, I think but it has a lot to do with um, FIFA is something I always love to do, right? And I would say I'm I'm pretty good at it, and so that's that's. The, the other the other side of the spectrum is if you handed a coach a controller and you said let's play FIFA they wouldn't naturally be good at it. There's so many like little things and so, but from a from a IQ perspective, you know we always say let's watch soccer and we try and get players to watch soccer and all that. Well, you know I think they can watch it, but also like you know if, if you play it a lot and you can you can be upset that your your guy's not making the run they want. Well, you know that that can translate to you understanding you need to make runs too and. And so I think I think from a player perspective, I think that's why people will say boys have a higher IQ of the game. I wouldn't necessarily say that that's the case, but I would say that they they daily implement things probably a lot more. Meaning um, they're pl- probably playing FIFA a lot. And so it's not that they understand the game differently than than girls, but I would say that maybe they put it into action a lot more from that from that perspective. Um, and so to your point, I would say yes. I would say that it's it can be extremely helpful. Sure, sure, and and it's a beautiful way to just, like I had said before, just to, to overall bring into perspective what you would like as a coach when it comes to your players, being able to show them, okay, this is this is what we did wrong, this is what we need to do, so on and so forth, and it's a beautiful way, and going into your coaching roles and, and the way that you've been able to implement them over your career, I had seen a pattern in your career, it seemed like every second year that you were at a, a program or, or being a part of the assistant or head coaching specifically, you were seeing tremendous success. So, again, going back to when you were at the University of Tennessee Southern, you were a part of their national championship side, first ever in program history. Uh, and then in the second year as a head coach at Columbia State Community College, you had seen them win uh, back-to-back conference championships uh, in your second year and your third year. Uh, overall, how does that sit in your career and achievements going forward? No, yeah, it's good. You know, I think I think the big thing is everywhere you go, there's there's it's a different challenge, right? And so I I would say I at it was Martin Methodist at the time. Now it's UT Southern. It's still weird hearing it called UT Southern, but. I would say there, my role was a lot different. I was really young and, and I had really experienced coaches. And so I got to sit back and watch. Um, there were some things I loved that I, I will always try and keep. And then I learned a lot of what not to do. Cause I would say that, you know, I, we, 
there were a lot of things that maybe I wouldn't do as a coach that they did. And so, you know, I think at that phase, it was really trying to soak in and understand why is he doing a lot of things he's doing? Um, because, you know, every, every team also has a different level of talent. And so, you know, I, I mean, at, at UT Southern, our team was unreal. So we could do, he could do a lot of things that maybe a lot of places can't do. And so then at Columbia State, I think the big thing for me was year one was, I mean, I started it from scratch, right? So it was like, okay, what is our culture going to be? And so it's, it's a, it's a, it's a two edged sword is that when you have a new program that's from scratch, it's like, okay, what well, is all new? So the recruiting's a bit difficult because you have to, you know, convince people to come and make it and try and build it. But then the, the flip side of that is you also don't have to change a culture. And that means that the, the players you have shouldn't have PTSD from a former coach. So that was like, okay, what's our culture and why? Why, why do I want it to be this way? And, you know, players are going to test that on a daily basis. So you really have to understand yourself and, and why you're wanting to implement those things. So I would say at Columbia State, I learned so much. I mean, I got the head job. I was 22 when I was hired, turning 23, and I thought I thought I knew so much. And I, I found out in that you know that that time span, I didn't know anything, and I had to I had a lot to learn. And and so I would say year one was me really identifying. Okay, this is what the level looks like. We need to figure out how to how to match or beat it. And so then then the recruiting had to match that. Because I didn't really get to recruit much my first year. I kind of held tryouts and prayed and got whatever I could from a recruiting because I was three months prior to preseason when I was approved to start the program. So I only had three months for the first year. Um, and, and to say the least, we, we, I think, and I couldn't even get a full schedule because everyone's schedule was so late. So I think our season where we were like four and four. So it still wasn't awful. Um, but then that next year, I think we really took a, a big step forward. Obviously we, we were able to win it. And I think to this day still, um, Columbia is still the only team to beat the current champs, Motlow. And, and we beat them six out of eight times. So going into year three, we, we were just dominant. It wasn't even, I mean, it wasn't even close. And then, um, when you look at the Jackson State bit, which would have been the next step, it was a, I got there. I had to really, see what the level was. So year one, I was only there a year. And then the second year, obviously I came here to Lamar, but I mean, I did all of the recruiting for us for there. And so I got to see what the level was and then, you know, and then bring those players in. And then this year they won their first back to, they won the, the regular season and then they won the conference championship and they got to the first NCAA berth in 11 years. So that was really, really cool. And then you had us here at Lamar um, for year one, it was year one for our whole staff and, it was an interesting one because it wasn't a bad program. Like normally when you enter a program, it's because someone was like, oh, and the the old head coach was really, really good. Like he's, he's still doing really well. He just took a, a job elsewhere. And so when we got here, it was late. I want to say it was like the end of May. And so we only had 14 returners. So then we had, we didn't really get to see, okay, this is what the standard's like. We just had to figure out, okay, what can we do? And so we brought in 14 transfers and, we landed some really good ones. I mean, it was, I mean, one of our top strikers was a uh, transfer from the University of Tennessee that I just happened to know from a, a back in the JUCO world because she went to a JUCO and then went to Tennessee. And then we were able to get it from there when the, the Tennessee coach left. And so, you know, it all kind of comes together. I think that the big thing is you have to really identify, okay, where are we at? Where do we need to be? And what's the distance between that? And then the next question is, is, okay, if that's not going to be hard enough to make up, well, then can we, how can we improve upon that? And that's, 
that's kind of always what I've tried to do is everywhere I go, I want to see where I want to meet us where we are and take us where we maybe can be. Absolutely. That's it's a great point to have, because when it when it comes to standards and, and going forward, when it when being a coach, you have to be able to make those decisions and make those calls. Obviously, that's part of being a coach. But <laughs> besides the point that that is one of the things that needs to be done. And if the expectations are are either not being met, they need to be adjusted and, and so on and so forth. And I also wanted to take a, a very quick touch on when you were being an assistant coach for the Nashville Rhythm, uh, I had wanted to just bring that into the loop as well, how that set into your career and, and what you learned from that as well. Yeah, no, I so I would say that one was a, it was a brief, brief stint. Um, it was just a quick bit over a summer and, and, Really, it was just also just wanting to see like, okay, well, Nashville Rhythm are going to have players from all over, whether it's from, I mean, right now, currently, UT Southern, one of their players is the uh, leading goal scorer for Nashville Rhythm this summer. And and so it's just um, just kind of seeing because, you know, there's Vanderbilt players that play there. There's so, I mean, there's NAI players, there's JUCO players, there's Division One, there's Division Two. And, and so, I, you know, I, as a JUCO coach, which is the time frame that I would have worked with Nashville Rhythm is... um you know, I think my job was not only to get players in and make our program good, but it was also part of your job as a JUCO coach is you now need to transfer them out so they can continue to play at a four-year school. And so credibility is really, really, really important to me. Um, and, and I don't want to send a player somewhere that isn't going to be able to make it. And I don't want a player to spend money on a player that isn't going to be able to do it. And so, you know, for me, it was really important to understand each level. So I studied it a lot, man. I mean, the three years I was at Columbia State, is the most growth I've ever had in my career, but strictly because um, I knew the weight was on my shoulders, um, you know, as starting the program, but also like, you know, I really, like I said, credibility matters to me. And so, and then recruiting is a very interesting thing. Recruiting is such an inexact science where, you know, it's like a steakhouse. Everybody wants a different type of steak, but they also want to cook it differently. And so for me, I needed to understand not only what, what was the, the standard of each level, but what, what were the program's identity within? So, for example, some teams, they would, they would be a more possessive style team. So you, you'll have players that kind of fit that. Or if you have a really good midfielder that wants to get transferred out into a four-year program, but the, the, the school talking to them is super direct, well, you're going to waste the midfielder's talent because she, she's never going to get the ball. So for me, it was just trying to really evaluate and understand what the different players at the different levels were able to do and then and then that would help me transfer my girls accordingly it's a great way to being able to bring in that kind of talent and bringing into just the overall identity because when it comes to coaching i think the amount and depth that you can go into the research is astronomical you have so many things to bring into account and so many different factors as you had said when you have different players that have different playing styles you don't want to bring in a player that doesn't meet that criteria won't be able to to be that impactful player that you need at your side and I wanted to ask from a coaching perspective for any potential coaches out there listening to this episode what's one thing that any coach could implement and see not may not see results instantly, but make them a better coach. I would say is um, you really, and I, I sound like a cliche when I say it, but I would say you really need to figure out like well, what you mean when you say culture and what you mean when you say family. Cause I think those things are two buzzwords. I think that especially in the recruiting world, you're going to hear them mention it to, to recruits. And, you know, I think that 
there's a misconception when it comes to having a positive culture. Everyone thinks it's sunshine and rainbows, and that's not the case. Um, it's about being able to have difficult conversations and then your bridges not be burnt. So, you know, if a kid is upset about playing time, you know, they can always come speak, but it's not necessarily about it, it, it's kind of how you ask the questions that matter. So if a girl comes in and she says, I'm not earning this time, I should be because of this. I'm going to tell her, well, no, you shouldn't because of this. Or she comes in and says, how can I improve in order to earn more playing time? Well, that's a different question and a much different answer. And so um, I would, to, to your question is, I would say really understand your your core values and, and really understand why those are your core values and then really be ready to not only use them as a standard, but also use them as a standard for your life. Because if you're not able to to fulfill the things you're asking of them, why should they listen to you? And so, and I think that if you do that, what happens is, is, you know, core values can create different standards of behavior and, and those standards of behavior, like for example, what we did this year here at Lamar was we created an outline of values. We created an outline of standards of behavior to, to align with those values. And then as a staff, we did that. And then what we did the next day was we took those and we, we had a meeting in the locker room and we asked, we asked everyone like, okay, hey, we passed out all the sheets and we said, this, these are our beliefs and that these are the standards we think align with them. Let's go over them. So we went through them and, and asked the girls like, what would you change? What would, are there any of these words you would want to, to change? Because it's not about our vision. It's about everybody. And so there were some tweaks here and there that they wanted to do. So we did it. And, and then now what happens is, is when people follow above the line behavior, you can praise them for it. And then when they fall below the line behavior, now you can address them. And not only do you have to be, or not only can you address them, but you can use these values and you can use these standards of behavior to show them like, hey, these are the rules we created for ourselves. We, not the staff, not not just the team, but the, the, all of us together. And so, you're, you know, you're falling below this and they, they know that. And so they have to accept that they they have, you know, done below the line behavior. And I think that while that sounds so minimal, it's utterly important because, you know, it's culture is not something you talk about. It's something you have to fight for on a daily basis. And, and if you don't, I think that if you preach culture and you don't believe in it and you don't work at it, what you're going to be, it's going to be snipped out really, really quick. And your players are going to start crossing that line. And that line is, you know, as a coach, the, the, the scary part about our jobs is we're betting our lives on the decisions of 17 to 23-year-olds. So, you know, we, we need to really, one, bring in the right the right players from a, from a talent perspective. But more importantly, you know, they need that their personalities and their person needs to align with, with what the program's values are. And if they're a really good player, but, but they don't align, then I think you have to be ready to not take that player. And you have to be ready to potentially play against them if they go to a conference foe because, you know, I believe at the end of the day, if you have a group that's working together, it's better than that one individual on the opposition's team. And so that's kind of, as a, as a young coach and even as a, you know, experienced coach, I would say there's a lot that still don't, still don't meet that kind of stuff. And I would say that that's probably the most important thing in our job is, is protecting the, the culture in the locker room because, the end of the day you can win games and it can be an absolute living hell in, in life and so you want to make sure that you're putting out less fires and you can you can really do a lot of that through your recruiting absolutely as you had said cultivating the environment cultivating the the atmosphere that you would want is so key it's extremely key and i, and I love that point i absolutely love that point and i wanted to go back to the playing aspect for you specifically. When I had heard about the injuries, I wanted to ask a question 
geared towards players specifically that are facing long-term injuries, what's something that you can tell them that can potentially help them get move forward when it came to their either career or or maybe looking elsewhere? Yeah, no, it's just, um, you know, I think what the, the thing that really impacted me was how, how much I realized I wasn't a great teammate. I was a great player that happened to be on the same team, but I wasn't a great teammate. And, I, and when I realized that, it was it was really tough for me because, you know, you got to look in the mirror and you got to build from within. And, and I realized I was not a good teammate. And so my big thing was like, how can I how can I impact? How can I help? And, and you know, what I learned was is there's ways you can poke at your teammates and be like, listen, like you're complaining about that. You know how much I wish I could do it. Um, and, and that would, that's one way to push them or, you know, another is when you're willing to show up every day to every training and, and when they miss a shot, you're off to go get it because you have nothing better to do at training. So you're, you're constantly working for them to be in a better spot. And I think what happens is, is you, you tend to really enjoy being able to build others. And at the end of the day, you know, someone that's, that's doing a long-term injury is uh, the reason that it's saddening is, Yes, you can't play, but also like you're beating yourself up because you can't play. So I would say is like try and figure out another way to make an impact. I'd never want to see players with long term injuries, but I would say that they can give you a very good perspective. And I think that they can mold you into when if you're able to come back, which ideally you would be, I think you can come back not only as good of a player, because I don't think your athletic ability is going to leave. You may just have to work to get it back a little bit. But I think ultimately you'll be able to impact your team on a much bigger spectrum because now you're not you're not going through the motions. You're not taking things for granted. And I think that a long term injury can actually prove to be a very good piece of your development. Yes, I listening to you and listening to the way that you explained it, the mental growth when it comes to being a player is extremely important, not only on the physical aspect, but being able to to research and know know what's going on and, and being a part of the team still. And and I definitely think that's a very, very good point to make as well. And I thank you for that. I appreciate that. No and for my last question, for the last hard question for you, good sir, Mr. Bryant, what is Lamar looking to do in their second season with with the with everything going forward for you? I would say um, last year we had a good year um, on paper. When you look at the obviously we set a program records. We I mean we jumped. I think we're the highest RPI jump in the top fifty because we went from like a hundred and sixty something to to thirty two, um, and so that's very good. Obviously. I mean, we were number two in the nation for total goals conceded. I think we conceded eight, eight or nine goals all year. So next year, you know, our goal is is we need to build on that. But, you know, I think that regardless of what happens on paper, let's say when we went 15-2-2, two two, let's say we lose three games or four games, that doesn't necessarily mean we were a worse team. You know, I think the biggest thing we have to fight is a couple things. One, you know, we had a great year, but that didn't – the behind the scenes were not always the best. We said we had a lot of – uh when you bring in a new staff and you're stepping into 14 returners, new home, and then you're bringing, not only are you bringing 14 new faces, but those 14, normally, you know, bring a freshman in, the returners can push the freshman to join their, their alignment of their, their culture and what they are, but we brought in a lot of transfers. So good luck bullying people older than you. Um, so, you know, there were a lot of learning and growing. And I think that what our goal is this year, um, as a staff at least is, we want to continue to win and get those results and, and all that. 
But at the end of the day, we want to be able to go home and, and, and not worry about putting out a fire the next day within the locker room. And so I would say our main goal is really making sure that we stick to what these values are and we stick to what our, our standards of behavior are because we get to we didn't do as much culture work as we would have liked early on because we didn't want to rattle cages so early, um, especially with, you know, we all get here. And then a couple months later, there's preseason and a lot of them are meeting us in person for the first time. Um, and so, you know, it was a tough one. So this year uh, we want to continue to build. And I think that our biggest challenge is going to be letting the girls know, like, we don't get to win because we go out there and say we are Lamar. Like our big thing this year was we were we were doing the hunting and we wanted to become the hunted. But now you have to figure out how to be the hunted. And and so, you know, keeping away the ghost of complacency. Um, now we also have another good recruiting class coming in. So if you averaged 30 minutes last year, it might be less. So you better work hard to get it. Um, and, and, you know, and there's a lot of unhappiness that comes in that. Um, you know, a lot of players tend to, unfortunately, place their worth in themselves on their playing time. And I don't think that that's fair. Um, they can't control that. What they can control is doing their absolute best every day. And we, at the end of the day, we make the decision on, on, you know, who's, who's going to play and don't, don't beat yourself up because you're not playing. I think you should just put your, your, your growth in, in yourself, put your belief in yourself and, and, and continue to work. But also, you know, that you don't have to be hurt to be on that side of the sideline. You can also learn how to be a better teammate. You can learn how to impact and, and a big thing for us is like, you know, if you're super negative on the sideline, then we just will stop bringing you the games because, um, you know, we all want, we all know you want to play and it can't always be possible, but how can you make a positive impact? And I mean, this year we had a really, really, really good teammate, I would say on the sideline. And, and she, she was just different in, in, in all categories of being a, a proper teammate. And, you know, we need more of those. And so I would say this year, you know, our goal, we want to continue to, to build the standard and be the standard and, and win. But more importantly, I think we want to be able to sleep at night without knowing there's going to be a headache tomorrow. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Mr. Brian. I appreciate this and appreciate your time as well and, and the amazing answers that you've been able to give me. I wanted to give you the time. If you have any questions for me, if you have anything that you want to promote, I would love to have you have it. Oh yeah, no. So I don't. I don't really have any questions. I would say keep up with Lamar on on all social medias. It's Lamar W Soccer on Twitter and Instagram. And I would say just you know kind of follow it and see what happens. We'll be on ESPN Plus this year as well. And so you know I think a lot of people can watch the games. But from uh, any potential recruits or future college athletes watching this, you know I think when you send these emails, I mean I was just going through some today. Um, it's one thing to say you want to play for a program, but, you know, maybe try and stand out by being able to say, um, this is how I think I can fit your program. You play this way so I can plug in in this area. I think that maybe then I know you did your research and other coaches will, too, and you'll have a better chance to get recruited. I love it. Thank you so much for your time, and I will see you later.